All right, all right, and welcome back to another episode of the Business of Fitness Podcast. I'm Jason Kleepin. On today's episode, we have Connor Moore, who's a previous CrossFit gym owner. Now, I use the word previous because he ended up getting out of the business and he had to shut it down. And I think that's a really important topic for today is how some of us might be in a position where you might need to close a location. And at times it becomes challenging because you don't know if it's the right choice or perhaps you're worried about what other people think. But Connor goes into detail today about why he closed his gym, but more importantly, how that failure, quote, allowed him to thrive and do exactly what he's doing today, which is better than ever. And so today's episode is awesome. We dive into Connor's background and how he took this, quote, failure and how he turned into something really special. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Before we dive into it, just want to remind you, if you have not looked into ours, gyms, session plan and programming from the NC Fit Collective, we'd love an opportunity for you to at least check it out. Simply choose an email to collective at nc.fit, where we have a team of experts that curate daily content with videos, session plans, you name it. So if you're tired of programming on a Sunday night, hit us up. We'd love to have you try it out. Collective at nc.fit. Now, let's dive into the episode. So, okay. So, Connor, we were just talking about you started off, you were coaching at CrossFit Central. Yep. And then you transitioned out to Dallas where you kind of worked on the back end of a gym. Then you came back to Austin to start a gym. And and really what I'm fascinated with is this idea of the fact that you closed your gym. And I think a lot of people nowadays always talk about how much they're crushing it, this and that. But behind closed doors, there's a lot of businesses that are having challenges. And there's a lot of owners out there who maybe at this weird tipping point where they got into CrossFit like maybe five years ago, seven years ago, they signed a lease and that lease is just coming up or they're just now recognizing that they're maybe not zoned right or whatever else is going on. So can you kind of take us back to, you know, when you kind of like built this business and what ended up causing you to close the doors and what could people listening learn from your experience? Cause it seemed to me like you fell forward, meaning yeah. like what you thought was a negative actually turned into potentially one of the most positive of your life. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll start with, I, I love this journey. This was super, super interesting for me. And I started CrossFit, doing CrossFit because I wanted to compete some more. You know, that was, that was really the reason I walked into the doors of my first CrossFit gym. Um, I had been a competitive athlete, I actually had injured myself playing football and couldn't play anymore. So I had to quit not on my own terms. And I think I just took some of that, that ego into... Was that in high school or college? Or? In college. Yeah. After my first year of college, I was actually injured myself working oil and gas construction. So I'm a small town Texas kid. Like we worked, we were swinging hammers at 12 years old. Like that was kind of our mentality growing up. Yeah. And, um, so I took them some of that into CrossFit and just, you know, was training and wanted to coach so I could train more and compete more and just be in that, in that world. And that, I loved that. But what happened is I just fell in love with working with people. So that, that, that got me really invested into becoming the best coach that I could possibly be. Funny thing is you actually taught my level one. Oh man. <laughs> now now we're, we're, th- we're doing this little throwback now. <laughs> yeah. But so, so we get into, you know, fast forward had CrossFit Central. That was a, a fantastic, fantastic career there. Um, was in Dallas and then opened my own gym. And of course, we're leaving a lot of stuff out, but we got into the gym and, and about a year in, and we were doing okay. And, and financially, we were all right. It wasn't great, but the, 
the people that I were working was working with, the clients were having a fantastic experience. Right. And that was less because of business structure or anything that I had figured out. It was just because I gave, I cared so much. Right. And that was my number one priority. And I think there's a lot of people, by the way, who are in your exact same position, whether you have 50 members or hundred members or 200 members, they just, their community loves them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a sustainable business. Well, the thing is I, I was a fantastic coach, mm. fantastic coach, not a great business owner. Ah, uh, there's a lot of people like that. So let's back up for a second. So here we are six months in a year in, and how did you decide to go off and go open up a gym? Let's start there. What, what made you decide to open up your own gym? <laughs> I got the best advice ever from my clients that I should probably open a gym. Uh, you know, you know that yeah, that whole yeah, song yeah, and that, dance, yeah, right? Yeah, what yeah. your clients want the best for you? They think, I right. mean, this guy's working for somebody. Like he does, he's doing a great job. I love this guy, and you know, you start getting that seed planted. And on top of that, you know, the the man who raised me, my grandfather, I, you know, I, they took me in when I was about five. He has a seventh grade education. And he owned his own, he, he, through the process of hard work, there's just nothing but hard work, you know, went from oil and gas, uh, hand to running a rig to then buying a rig to then drilling wells and doing his thing and, and became a millionaire on just that, that mentality. And his whole thing was he raised me to own my own business. And that was what I, that's what I took into business. That was my mentality. And that's where I got it from. Not ever even really questioning if that was the right thing for me or not. Mm. You know, so, so you get there and I'm 27, 28 and I have everything I thought I ever wanted, right? I've got my gym, I'm doing my thing and something just doesn't feel right. It was a very interesting experience. So you, you have these clients who are telling you, Hey, you need to open up a gym. Mm-hmm. And I think at times your clients are probably saying that cause they see you as a phenomenal coach, but what they don't realize is just cause you're a good coach doesn't necessarily mean that you should, uh, start your own business. Now yeah. you could, right? And there's there's plenty of been successful there. But just because you're a good coach doesn't mean you have those additional skills. So did you find out that when you went out for um, business on your own, if you could do it all over again, what would you have done differently to set yourself up in a better position to be successful later on down the line, which I'm, we're going to get into obviously. But what would you have done before you even got started? I would have been really, I mean... <laughs> This is kind of philosophical, but I wasn't really honest with myself. I think that was what I, I was young and I was, I had a high likelihood of success and I'd been really good at what I was doing, but I never really, I just assumed I was good at all of it. I assumed I could just do all of it, right? Because I'd been successful. And when I, when I really look back at it now, I think I loved people. I was really good at working with people. I had no interest no real, I, I convinced myself that I had an interest in running a business like that, mm. especially a brick and mortar business. Yeah. And there are so many ways, even then there are so many ways that you can teach, grow, share yourself and help people and be of support to people without having that, that avenue. So I think I would have been more open-minded and more curious and, and tried different avenues besides the standard, like if this, then that open a gym. Yeah. And I think at the time when you open this and still even today, a lot of people think that's the only trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. You're either a coach or you're an owner, but there's other opportunities out there to utilize your skills and to make an impact on people. Now, when you went out and you opened up this business from a real estate perspective, um, I recognize that maybe that was a challenge for you. So look, speaking just real estate, if, if you're a, a, someone listening to this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Who's interested in starting a gym but they don't know much about real estate. Now we've done a few podcasts about buy versus lease and real estate, but what advice would you give about picking a space? What did you pick and why did you pick it? Yeah. So I was in downtown Austin, which was blowing up. Yeah. Right. It was, yeah. it was right off, right off the UT campus. So yeah. on a map, you know, through the, through the, um, 
through the lens of just looking at a map, like this is great. There's UT campuses right there. There's a bunch of young people that want to get fit that have money. Like we, we, the demographics were good. I did a lot of demographic research and I ended up leasing in a building, um, that just wasn't, it just wasn't a good fit. And they had lied to us so much on the front end, Like there was so, there were so many failed promises that I shouldn't have ever listened to in the first place. Right. That was, you've got to always look through the lens of who's trying to sell you on the, on the project, mm. right? If you're, if you're the landowner or the property manager or the broker, like those guys are just trying to make, get paid. Yeah. 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 And they're not, they may, and they, they're really good at their job because they're good at convincing you that what they want you to do is in your best interest. So do you feel like at that time, mm-hmm. again, if we get back up to Connor back in what, five years ago, six years ago, yeah, six years ago, what advice would you have given yourself a comp- on picking the location? Because did you become a little bit emotional about it? And- oh, I was, cause I was, it was hard. I was frustrated. I picked it out of frustration. Like it was, cause I w- we had a few spots that kept falling through. And I think that happens a lot. You, real estate's, you never, you're, not usually going to get your first spot, especially right. if you're in a city like Austin or, or any kind of major city. Like even if you're on the sub in the suburbs, like it's, things are going to fall through and I wanted it when I wanted it. And that was yesterday. So by the time one that would work came up, I was, I didn't even, I didn't even pay attention. I was just in, and you know, I, I thought I was being analytical, but in, I was operating purely just from ego. It was really wild. And so you got yourself into a lease that, so tell me about the lease. What did you get yourself into? It wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Like the lease terms weren't terrible based upon the information I had and what it, what it, when it went, was like $10,000 a month. It wasn't crazy. We had a year's worth of free rent. Like it was, we had some pretty iffy deals, but what had gone down is that there was, you know, we had signed that lease under the assumption that, Hey, this, this business is moving in right next to you. And this other business is going in here. We're actually going to fix all of this stuff. And you have plumbing underneath your, like we had to easily put in bathrooms. Like there was a lot of these things like they said there was plumbing underneath our unit, right? And the space that we leased wasn't true. So my bathrooms that should have cost me $10,000 cost me $40,000, uh, right? Little things like that. So stepping, so playing back, yeah, you I would have obviously had that inspected. Exactly. Yeah. Didn't even so know that was just, an option. You wouldn't have just taken people's word for it. You would have actually evaluated it. A hundred percent. And I feel like even, I feel so silly now, even yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. that, like looking back on it, but you don't, you're so emotionally yeah. excited. Like you want it to work so bad. <laughs> I, I've been there, right? I mean, 100%. as we open up locations, I mean, that's why a lot of the times like you, you just gotta, you, that's why for me, as I've gotten older and more mature in business, I try and surround myself with additional people who could come at it without as much emotion. Cause I like, you know, I got that let's go baby. You know? And I sometimes need people to be like, Hey, let's take a step back for a second. Let's evaluate. Is there actually a plumbing line here? Cause if there's not, I mean, like you said, quadruple the price. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. So you get in this lease, you start the business and as the business grows, you had said you fast forwarded six months a year. What did the community grow to? And, uh, what was that like? So what, yeah, what did you grow to in a year? Like 50, 60 members. Like it wasn't bad. Year. Yeah. So now your rent's 10 G's a month mm. and did you have any coaches or anything? Um, there was one more coach, one yeah. more coach. So it was, this is a small, we were a small business, right? But was, you were owner operator. Mm-hmm. You have a coach, but your, your monthly nut is pretty expensive, yeah. right? Yeah. And I imagine at that time you weren't really pulling too much money from it. So mm. ha- t- take me through the first year and what would you have done differently looking back on it now? Cause how many years did you end up being in business? Two, two. Yeah. So looking back on the first year, what could you have done differently? So you already signed a bad lease. Okay. I yeah. get that. <laughs> we're, we're, right? so, we're, so granted that we're in the, we're in the bad lease now. You're in the bad lease. Cause how long mm. was the lease terms? Six years, six years. So you're in a bad lease for six years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So assuming someone's listening right now and they, they are in a bad lease and 
or maybe a bad partnership or maybe a bad something and they can't do anything about it. It's outside their control. Now, what could you have done that first year to get you from 50 members of the first year to, you know, hundreds? Mm -hmm. So I would have, I would have, you spent money so much differently on the front end. Like that would have been, I would have marketed the business as we were building it out in, in such a more robust way. Like mm -hmm. it was one of those things. And of course I wouldn't have spent as much money as I spent on bathrooms and things like that. Like that just. GHDs or reverse I only had one, I had one, oh. I did have a reverse hyper. <laughs> and jerk blocks. And jerk blocks. <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit of that that was like, I kind of want to build the gym that I want, you know, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but I would have marketed it so much better and gotten out in the community more because that was something I could do that didn't cost me a ton of money and I had the connections for that. From the beginning. From the beginning. I, or I, even before you even opened the doors. Before you even opened the doors. Like getting the community rolling beforehand because I had left Austin for about eight months, nine months and it was about a year later when I was opening the gym. So I had faded from relevance I'd say in the coaching sphere there like I was a really well-known coach when I was there and then you leave and come back and you expect like oh all of my all of my fitness children are going to be waiting for me right. when I get back but they've all got things to do you know uh. like it, they move on and do their thing and so we started from scratch and I, I could have easily leveraged the strengths that I had to go out and get back in the community and really not been so really just arrogant right <laughs> and so how many square feet did you end up getting it was 3,000 3,000 yeah and so I think what's really cool, you said two things I just want to kind of like pinpoint. First off is that you want to build a gym for yourself a little bit. Oh, yeah. And I think we need to be aware of that, right? Uh, jerk boxes, reverse hypers, and GHDs with, uh, you know, chains and slant, you know, strongman balls, that's all good and well. Mm -hmm. But if that's taking up square footage, that's prime real estate that you're paying two bucks a square foot on. Is that the best use of that space? Exactly. hundred percent. It's cool for you, but just throw that thing in your garage then. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or earn it. Earn or, it. Or yeah. Or That's get to the that, point where you're building it up so much that you could then afford that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. It's like, dude, when you get to 75 members, get yourself some jerk blocks because right. you earned it. Like you, you made, you, you've essentially hustled for it. Yeah. Starting off, you know, dumbbells, get some, put up a rig, get some dumbbells with some wall balls and maybe a few rowers and you could get started there. And nobody wants to do that now because social media says that yeah. everybody's gym is the sickest gym ever, but you yeah. never know. You yeah. never know what somebody's story is behind that yeah i mean we started off with one rower and a and a and a pull-up rig made from home depot but that was a long time ago <laughs> now i mean you're seeing you're in our gym yeah, right now yeah so you if you could do it over again you had three thousand square feet the first year you're in 50 members and you attest some of that because I, I would say that 50 members in a year i would say is is a not as successful as it could be no absolutely there's areas for opportunity that, mm -hmm. or, you know for mm -hmm. and you you think one of the things is that you didn't use your strongest asset, which was kind of like you, I mean, you, you have a good attitude, you have a good vibe to you. You weren't out there pushing it. You just assumed people were going to come to you. Is that what happened? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which I feel like happens as funny as oh, this. Yeah. I, don't, I feel embarrassed saying this stuff now, right? I'm trying to be vulnerable and like put it out there. It's like, yeah, I just thought it was going to happen for me. Like I had, I had made the story in my head that it was all going to happen. Right. If you, you build it, they will come, but sometimes yeah. it doesn't happen, especially now with the industry having so much competition in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, we're one year in. You're are you are you breaking even? Or are you losing money? I'm like barely living. Yeah, barely living. Yeah, and it took you another year of barely living. What did you what what kind of like aha moments did you have along that journey that that made you realize that did you have any aha moments that you needed to focus more on marketing and sales? Yeah, and I think what the thing about it was is that I was in that point right about a year in where it's like we gotta start we gotta start paying rent now. We had made a deal where we didn't oh, have to pay right. rent for you a pay year. Rent. Yeah. yeah, for a year, and that was our build out expense. Yeah, so yeah. instead of getting ten oh, allowance, yeah. we got 
so it's a little bit of a different deal. And by the time that came up, I had realized you guys lied to us on this lease. So I had to go get a lawyer and then I'm like, okay, we need to renegotiate. And that started taking up a lot of my energy for that mm. la- that whole last, that whole second year. I was like trying to renegotiate my lease deal because we had been fraudulently induced uh, and it was, it was wild. Yeah. But, 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 uh, uh, if you could do it over again, would you have said you didn't want the free rent for the first year? hundred percent. You wouldn't have, right? Yeah. I would have, I would have done something like a few, like it was actually customary to not pay rent during your build out period yeah, and things course, like that. Like 90 days, 120, whatever. Yeah. So you think, and this is super interesting for me because I, I see it one way. I, I think you agree with me. It actually gave you a false impression of how well the business was kind of doing because you didn't have this $10,000 a month nut. Yep. And then all of a sudden when it hits, it's like, uh-oh. Uh-huh. Wow. That's really cool. That's really, no, that's really cool. That's it's really good. It's, like, it's like almost like having a credit card, right? Yeah. Like you don't see it till you see it and you're like, oh damn. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Very cool. Very good. And so, um, you know, you, you start litigating with the, the lease, which obviously is not a favorable thing, but if, did you have a lawyer review that, that contract originally? Originally? No. Originally? No. Yeah. So you just signed the lease yeah. and was it a personally guaranteed lease? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. So I got lucky in a way. Yeah. So I I mean, I'll just kind of back up for a second and say that as far as I'm concerned, guys, if you're listening to this, you know, look, Connor, he's, he's on the other side of it. He's made a huge, we're going to talk about the positives. We've been talking about the negatives a lot. You're just just throwing me under the bus. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Just be aware guys. Look, before you sign a lease, especially if you're personally guaranteeing it, you have an obligation to at least have somebody else review it. And it's worth spending a lawyer to pay, you know, 500 bucks for the hour to at least come back to you and say, Hey, this looks regular or, Hey, you know what? This looks a little weird. And just, just something for you guys to think about, not to mention, were you zoned properly? We were. Yeah. Okay. Zoning was, zoning wasn't a hard thing. For zoning us. Was, it was, it was interesting because here's the reason I didn't have a lawyer review it. I was yeah. just, so, cause this may happen. My broker reviewed it for me, which is not, he made me, it, I got the false assumption that he was, yeah. that was looking out for me on that. But that he way. didn't get paid a commission, right? Oh, of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you see what I'm saying? So yeah, I, was like, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, somebody reviewed it. Somebody yeah. who knows what's up reviewed yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, no, you got to get a third party to yeah. do that. You Someone know? who's unbiased. Someone who just comes in and, you know, look, I'm also the first one to say that sometimes lawyers can come in and draw attention to things that aren't relevant. Mm-hmm. But at least, at least you should have the opportunity to say, hey, thank you, lawyer A. Uh, I disregard your comments, but at least you're aware of them, right? Exactly. Okay. So now you're in business for, you know, a year and a half. And this is where I think there's a lot of gym owners at right now. You maybe are making a couple of bucks, but you're taking on all this risk and liability. Take us through that next year. Yeah. So the next year, um, what happened for me, and this is what happened for most people, is that the building that I was in got sold. Okay. So this is and well, I, the I, tax basis went up, and so your triple nets went up. No, no, no. We were actually we were in a net lease, so we didn't have to pay triple okay. triple net, right. which was actually really great. But the building got sold. All right. So a new company bought the building, and I'll, I'll go through this pretty quick because it's not something that's going to happen for a lot of people. And in that I had an opportunity to go, I want out of this thing right Mm. now. So I sat down with a new management of the building was like, they lied to you. They lied to me. This other company lied to everyone. Let's just dissolve this lease and I'll get out of here. Like we tried to make a new deal because where we were at and it was like, they were like, you know what? Actually we'd rather have that space anyways for something else. You're good. And I got to like, I was like the weight got lifted off my shoulders. Right. This was, was two years in. This was two. This was about. And how many members a, yeah. did you have at that point? About seventy. Like it was. It, it stayed pretty stagnant. We were. I was. I was so wrapped up with lawyers by that point. It was like I was just trying to find a way to frantically put something together yeah. to survive. So I think we're painting a picture that real estate obviously didn't go favorable for you. But let's just. <laughs> yeah. But let's just say it had. Yeah. Right. 
or let's just say your business was crushing it. So for example, right, we're, we're building out three showers next door and we knew how much that cost, and we built that into our budget, but we also know we need X amount of members to be successful. If we flip the switch a little bit and you take a gym owner who's listening right now, who might be in a challenging situation, mm. what advice would you give to yourself to say, Hey, let's just say you couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. You got lucky. There's a lot of people out there who didn't. 100%. Let's just say you didn't have this litigation component or this new buyer. Let's just say you are personally on the hook for um, what? You're personally on the hook for almost a million dollars because mm-hmm. it's a six-year lease at $120,000 a month mm-hmm. or a year. Talk, talk me through what, what you didn't do as a business for those two years, looking back on it now five years later. Mm. Man. It's so crazy because it's so different now. Um, I, I mean, this is very obtuse, but I didn't take it very, I didn't take it seriously, right? Like we already talked about this. Like I just thought people were going to come and I didn't treat, I didn't treat the client experience from walking in to their, their entire experience. Like it was a professional experience. Mm. It was more like a fun gym to come to, which it does well. Fun yeah. gyms to come to, but that, that, that stops at 50, 60, 70 members. Mm. So I had set the gym up, the structure of the gym up. And I'd actually, even though I had space in my classes and things were there and there were class spots open, the, the way that I had built the gym and structured the gym was for 50 to 60 to 70 people max. Does that make any sense? Like it it was, I was, I was the only, I was really the only coach. Yep. I didn't have a front desk. Yep. I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of, um, I mean, the program was great. My coaching style, of course I trust myself to coach. I was a fantastic coach. People love that. Um, the structure was there, like the gym actual physical space was there, but the way that I had the business set up, like the way I signed people up for classes, the way that free classes ran, like it was like a, it was like a group of friends more than it was a real business. And I, and I didn't treat it like that. And I thought I was in my own mind at the time. Like I thought that's what I wanted. Um, but from someone walking in the door into that gym doing their workout and, and, and making things happen and making change, like it was not structured to be a successful business. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And, you, you, and I'm, I'm putting that out there because you asked really good questions. So I'm like, I like where this is going. Yeah. And so I want to back that what you just set up with things that I would have done differently, right? Oh, absolutely. Would I had a front desk person, would I had a low Boom. barrier to entry to get people in the door so that instead of having them sign up for an on-ramp that starts two weeks from now, because you're setting up hypothetically, yeah. you get people come in for a lower barrier to entry class or a one-on-one with another coach. And then also if you're coaching seven, eight hours a day, who's out there trying to build the business. And so you run in this revolving door process that I talk about a lot where you don't think you could pay anybody. So you don't pay anybody, but you'll never be able to pay anybody unless you start paying somebody. Mm -hmm. Because right now you have 60 members, you're struggling. So you say, Hey, I can't afford to pay John. But if you're not paying John, then you're coaching all day. And who's out there actually building your business during peak times. And even if you, if you have the capacity to build your business, it doesn't matter. You could be the best business builder in the world, but if you're coaching seven hours a day. Yeah, you don't have enough time. And so, you know, building up your team, creating this intern process, you know, getting other coaches underneath your wing, is that something you would have done? Like Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And we had I mean we had some we had some really cool partners. Like there was a there's a CrossFit club at University of Texas that worked out at our place and they brought a lot of good energy and I got to work with some of those guys as kind of intern ish coaches, but the structure wasn't there. It was like, I, you know, I was definitely doing everything I could for them with the space that I had, but I didn't even have the time or the energy really to put together a process like that. Yeah. It was really, it, yeah. yeah, I see people do, get in these situations on a regular no, basis. No, it's, it's almost a daily occurrence. Yeah. And 
it's tough because I think for a lot of years, people were preaching a lot of there's look, there's always going to be consolidation. There's always going to be, if you have 15,000 CrossFit gyms, there's going to be some that are going to go out of business. That's just the fact. That's how it goes. All good. But I think what you're alluding to is like, is that don't get, you got wrapped up in like the vibes and the, the, like it was almost like a group of friends and that's cool, but you got to bridge that gap with, Hey, I'm trying to provide for my family. Cause ultimately mm. how much money do you think you lost to this whole process? $60,000. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and, and those Which numbers, essentially that, that was, that was like the money that I lost was essentially my income for that year. Well, and, and the members didn't pay you back that did they? <laughs> like, no, like, no. like they didn't say, Hey, you know what? Connor, you, you lost all this money. We didn't start a GoFundMe or anything. Right. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but, but I think that's really important to recognize that these members are there and it's, and even though you love them and they love you and you have a great relationship, it's still a business relationship where they're paying you for your service and you have an obligation to run it like a business. Otherwise, cause if it goes down, you're doing no one a service cause now they have no one, nowhere to go and mm. they surely didn't recover your expenses. So, wow. So you end up getting out, right? You find this out and you get out. And then how did you transition from what you were doing to what you're doing now? Because how did you know that you didn't want to just start up another gym and just say, oh, that one was a you know, f- fluke? So here's what I mean. And honestly, this, this experience for me. So let's put it in context, right? I had my college paid for. I was a, I was a, a really good athlete. And I, so I didn't have to try that hard in high school. I mean, it was going to take away, but I was going to get into my like personal philosophy and my story of how I got to even where I'm at now. I was, I had a great time in college. I was a great CrossFit coach. This was the first time where I had really just completely failed. It was my first time that it just fell on my face. I lost $60,000 of my granddad's money, <laughs> right? Which was not fun. No. Super embarrassing. Everybody, and I loved Austin. Austin was my home. Everybody kind of like was nervous around me, like, oh, you kind of like fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for me, being like the guy that was kind of like a big character, and that was the way I coach. I'm a bit, you know, I love people. And that was something that I had started to understand at the, right before I closed the gym down a few months before. I was actually doing a set of jerks. So I was doing a cluster set of jerks, five reps. Yeah. I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember I, was, I did one and I was thinking like in the 20 seconds between each rep and I'd drop it onto my really expensive jerk blocks. Yeah, custom um, made, baby. No, I'm just <laughs> I would think, dude, why are you doing this? And I do another rep and I'm like, I, it's, not even about the, it's not even about the fitness anymore. At this point, it's gotten so far past that. And in between each rep to the last one, I remember having this like conversation with myself in those little 20 second gaps between reps. And I was like, this is about, this is about people, man. I just really love working with people. And I, and I see and understand people's patterns so well in their, in their behavior. And people have always really trusted me and been able to share things with me that were much bigger than CrossFit. Like it right. was just outside. Like it was more, it was more about outside the gym than it was inside the gym, even though I was good at that. And I had a lot of confidence in that. And that got to a point, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, where coaching wasn't that hard. Like coaching in class wasn't that hard. It was automatic. So I would, I would take that extra energy and invest it into my people. So after I closed the gym down, I took three months and I sold all my equipment. So I had a little bit of cash. I had enough money for three months to live. So, I mean, I lost that money, but the, the equipment money was still coming in because I was piece by piece yeah, liquidating yeah. my gym. So I lived on that. And man, I just, I said, I'm not going to coach right now. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to look for a job. I'm going to find out what actually matters to me. And I'm going to live. I, li- I had an 85 Toyota Land Cruiser. Hell had my yeah. dog. I ate chicken, rice, and avocados. And I didn't, uh, the only thing I would spend money on really was like fancy coffees. <laughs> yeah. You gotta get the bougie coffee. I gotta go, And I was yeah. like, just so I could like go sit at a coffee yeah, shop and like, he's rocking the fills with us right now. And oh, I'm sure dude, you, got, is... you probably got verve this morning. 
<laughs> yeah, or, exactly. or Cat and Cloud. Cat and yeah. Cloud, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was it was it was it was a good time. So I just I started reading more. I started meditating. Sort of I would just like that's where this like Instagram handle Connor Wanders comes from. I would go just walk in the woods with my dog and just I would sit in the creek for two hours and I would just like let me just hit stop on everything for just a little while. And started thinking about this and really getting into what I what I wanted to do and really getting into my own life, like really curious about myself. I started writing and through my writing and I got asked to, um, people knew that I could coach and was good on a stage. So I got asked to MC a stage at paleo FX. I met a girl there that worked for on it. Then Aubrey Marcus and I became really good friends. So I know, you know, those guys over at on it. He liked my writing. He hired me as his project manager. So I was his project manager for a year and had essentially that platform to build out how to host a podcast how to write, how to coach people. He had a personal development program. So I, I was the community manager for that. And people just started reaching out to me, asking if I did one-on-one coaching. It was really crazy, but it was, it was something I didn't realize that I had been training to do for the last 10 years. Okay. So I'm going to pause you for just a second. Yeah, so we can take it back. We're talking about Aubrey Marcus. You know, he, he, so currently, can you describe what you're currently doing? Cause it's going to help me back up in the question. Yeah, absolutely. So right now I do lifestyle design coaching, which is personal development coaching. I host retreats and I host a podcast called the realness. Okay. So, so far in this conversation, we've been speaking for 27 minutes and it's only been 27 minutes. Yeah. And I've probably been, you know, beating you up a little bit for the first 25 of it, trying to understand <laughs> what you did wrong in your business. And here we are now sitting here and finally got to the, to the punchline that I wanted to get to, which was through this quote failure of this gym. And I wanted to get some takeaways for the audience. Oh, absolutely. But through this failure, it has now catapulted you because you became open to the universe of other opportunities. And now here we are five years later, you've probably never been more happy in your life. And these doors open that catapulted you far exceeding what you ever could potentially have thought of, right? Dude, dude I feel like I'm playing on house money. Yeah. But this thing is like... I, up until like the gym failed, I was doing things that I thought I was capable of at 16. Now I'm 32 years old and the gym failed. I was 28. I'm 32 years old and I feel like I'm doing things I didn't even know were possible, mm. right? Like my, I get, I get paid to have conversations that I love having with people that I'm super excited to talk to. And that's something that like, are you serious? Yeah. Like the same guy who drove his gym into the ground, Right can share that story and be vulnerable about that. And people can take something away from it. And I'm adding more value to more lives than I thought I could ever add through a gym. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I mean, right now you and I were talking about a little bit, we are actually closing one of our locations because of a lease and a bunch of different reasons we're closing, which I know for a fact is a better decision for our business. I know it is, mm -hmm. but from the outside, someone might say, Oh, NC fits losing location. They're going down. It's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. you don't know the full picture this is one thing that we need to do that creates this trajectory that we want to go on. Mm -hmm. But social media can become such a powerful tool where you're afraid to fail. You're afraid to move forward or try something new because you're afraid of being ridiculed by these people that don't know anything about your life or your situation. <laughs> and I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure like how long were you in business for additionally before shutting it down? Because you were afraid to kind of admit to whether it's your grandfather or other people that you needed to shut it down. I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, it was probably six months. Six it was months. probably six months of like me knowing and not saying it to yeah. anybody. And I think that's really a powerful thing to know is like, here we are sitting here. You've never been more happy. You could never make more of an impact. What what would have happened if you, maybe you had done it six months earlier? Who knows? But I guess the thing is that you got to, in your, your point, you listen to your 
brain and your heart and you made the best decision that you felt like for you mm-hmm. and you couldn't utilize these outside factors to impact in, in, impact that right because they don't all, know the whole story and that's all i've been doing was doing the outside factor that mm. like they were they were the ones running my decisions it was constantly validation seeking like oh my clients think i should do this my granddad thinks i should ah. do this i'll do it and then I, and then you know then i'll get approval wow. <laughs> because and, yeah. and so now when you started doing it what you sought out your strengths right mm-hmm. you seek some experts in the area you obviously learned from aubrey and his team and now you're kind of transitioning your own thing and mm-hmm. learning from more people. And, and so now looking back on these last few years and for advice for a gym owner or a coach out there, I think you, you hit the nail on the head by saying like, not trying to appease other people, trying to find yourself, but like, what would be some like cornerstone items now that you really focus on that you believe could help others find that transition in themselves? Yeah. One, you got to be really honest with your why, like why you really did it. And yeah. it's, it, Everybody's going to say this. The first thing they're going to go to, and I'm sure you've heard this a million times, is I wanted to help people. Right. Everybody wants to help people. That's super generic, right? So it's not that. It's something else. There's something there, you want to help people, but why do you want to help people? Like you got to keep going down. And what I what I like to do is just peel the layers back and understand that, right? Yeah. Go sit in the stream for two hours and figure out what <laughs> you know. What are you trying to get into? I'm not gonna I'm gonna Kyle Kingsbury you, but there was some assistance. There. Oh yeah. It's some- <laughs> Some, some fungus assistance. Yeah, some fungus assistance. <laughs> By the way, on this show, we're all about the business of fitness. But if you do explore some Connor's uh, retreats, they do utilize some additional herbal medicines to mm-hmm. support that, which I'm neither here nor there on. I'm just letting you guys know that that's what his it's retreats. There. They, check, out the, there. check out the Realness Podcast. Yeah, the Realness Podcast. <laughs> this one's more so, about the business. Side. Yeah, we're staying in the business here. But um. You know, one thing I find really, really helpful, and and this is, I hope this answers your question, is I find that journaling every day, journaling really what you're feeling, thinking, experiencing every day, at least two pages every morning. I do this without fail. This has given me the 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 view of my own life in a way that makes it all make sense, right? So, and I think when you get caught up in this, and you're so we talk about this this kind of treadmill that we're on of always trying to make the money, trying to get paid, trying to get to the next month. And that's where you live in this kind of frantic, chaotic state. It's if you can set a time for yourself to really reflect and really be curious about the narrative, the story that got you to where you are now and understand that, like, you know, maybe I need, maybe I feel like I needed to open a gym because I feel like I need to take care of everybody. And that's my responsibility in life. And that's really yeah. the why behind it. Or maybe it's because I never really felt like, you know, I felt like I made a big change to my life and I wanted to project that on every, onto everybody right. else. Like really what's going on there. And when you can understand your narrative and really go back and just explore yourself and explore your mind, explore your heart and just get really well acquainted with, with you, like under, seriously, just understand yourself. And I know that sounds kind of generic, but there's something there. If you can set the time to do that, you're going to learn about yourself. And when you can learn about yourself, you can learn how you can really provide value to people and not through some kind of generic, like workout on the board. It's like you can connect with real people as yourself. And hmm. that man, that changes the game for everybody in my experience. And that's a big part of the lifestyle design program that I have now. And when we really get well acquainted with how did you end up where you are right now? Really, honestly, how did you end up here? And then where do you want to go? Where do you feel that you should be? What could your life really be? And then what does it take to get from there to there? Who do you have to be to live that life? Right. And then, man, that's it's something empower. It's, it's really empowering for people. So if people want to know more about you, more about your programs, where should they go? GetTheRealness.com. GetTheRealness.com. Yeah, and The Realness Podcast. The Realness Podcast. All right, well, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time today. That was very insightful and uh, I hope all of you guys have a phenomenal day and uh, keep rising the tides. Thanks, brother.